Well, please open your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, as we're going here through the Beatitudes. We'll be looking at one Beatitude in particular today, but let's read to get the context. Matthew chapter 5, and beginning at verse 1. This is God's Word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Lord God, we thank you that we have this privilege to be here today and to open up your word and to to listen to what you have to say. And we pray, Lord, that you would change us as we think deeply of your truth. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples and to anyone else who would listen. And he gave the Beatitudes first. Now, most people either apply them to everyone or they say that no one can meet them, that they're, they're a standard that no one could possibly attain to. They're either going to apply to them to everyone as daily principles for, for living or say, you know, this is a standard that Jesus gave. There is no way you can reach. But the truth is, regarding the Beatitudes, that they describe Christians. They describe what people are by virtue of their relationship to Jesus. They don't prescribe a way of, of doing or behaving. They describe a Christian's character rooted in the character of God. That's what the Beatitudes do. It's a way of being that flows from God at work in your life that is evidenced in your actions and in the way you live. Now, it's helpful to view them as stages of spiritual blessing. Stage one, you recognize that you are poor in spirit, that you are bankrupt spiritually apart from Jesus. Because of that, you gladly accept God's rule in your life. In stage two, you mourn over the magnitude of your sin. But you also are amazed at the immensity of God's grace. You experience the godly sorrow that leads you to repentance and away from pride and resentment and comparison. Stage three is meekness, uh, gentleness, self-control, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, resulting in a true view of God, yourself, and other people. 
You gain perspective through suffering and through daily, moment-by-moment, deliberate choices. And that leads you to stage four, a deep spiritual hunger for God. You see, a hungry person doesn't have to, beg, have to be begged to eat. They just, they just long for, they crave, they, they desire deeply, and they go and get that food. Uh, you crave hearing God's word. You crave speaking to him in prayer. It's like eating your favorite food and getting full, and then on another day, wanting that same food all over again. You experience the wonderful paradox of God satisfying your need, your hunger, and at the same time, never being fully satisfied. Never staying that way because you won't know full satisfaction until heaven. So these first four Beatitudes kind of form a section one of the Beatitudes. They deal with our relationship to God. They focus on the inner life. The last four Beatitudes, which we're beginning today, deal with our relationship to other people. What reveals the truth about our inner life. And that's where we are today as we begin what you, would call, what you could call section 2 of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now mercy was and is a virtue sadly lacking in much of human interaction. Show no mercy. That's a battle cry that, that uh, was heard since the beginning of time. It's been that way. <laughs> since the beginning of time. Cain's hatred of his brother Abel led him to show no mercy and to kill him. Many of the people that Jesus was speaking to when he gave the Sermon on the Mount saw mercy as one of the lowest virtues imaginable. They only had to show it like love. They only had to show it to those who showed it to them. Like the enemies of Russell Crowe's Maximus in the movie Gladiator. Showing mercy was and often is seen as a sign of weakness, not strength. One Roman philosopher called mercy the disease of the soul. Something to be overcome, not to be celebrated. But it is exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. It is life-giving medicine for the soul's disease. It's not, mercy's not the disease of the soul. Mercy is life-giving medicine for the effects of the soul's disease. And mercy is an attribute of God himself. In Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, Portia says, The quality of mercy is not strained. It drops as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him who gives and him who takes. Mercy is enthroned in the heart of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. Chrysostom said that mercy imitates God and disappoints Satan. And while the, the world would view the merciful as deficient, God says they are blessed. They are, they are truly happy. They have a deep sense of, of inner satisfaction in, in their soul because God is the one who rescues them, and God is the one who continues to restore them. They are blessed. Now, those whose 
worldview is centered on man's abilities see mercy as weakness. They're going to see it as weakness. It gives the opponent a chance to get back in the game and even the score. It doesn't go in for the kill when it has the opportunity. Those whose life, though, is based on pleasing God, they see it as something to aspire to. You want to show mercy because of, because of how much mercy God has shown you. That's the truth we see in the fifth beatitude. But what is mercy? How do you define mercy? Basically, now mercy is not the hardest concept to, to figure out. Basically, mercy is compassion for people in need. It's helping people. You know, to show mercy means you give someone a break. You help them. You don't kick them when they're down. There's the mercy rule in sports. When, when, when a team gets a really big lead, almost insurmountable maybe, you're not supposed to pour it on. I heard recently of a high school team that, that won like 100 to nothing. But what, what, when, you, when you're up so, so far, you, you put the mercy rule into effect. You... you Pull your good players out. You don't try to keep scoring. You back off. You alleviate their pain. You don't increase it. Now in war, to show mercy means you let someone live instead of killing them. Biblically speaking, mercy, the Greek word elios, it means pity or compassion. Pity on the plight of others. Compassion for what they're going through. Spiros Zodiatus calls mercy special and immediate regard to the misery. Special and immediate regard to the misery, which is the consequence of sin. You're, you're showing uh, pity or compassion on the misery that's caused through consequences that come with sin. Mercy is, is meeting people's needs. It's, it's carrying another's load or overload. Mercy gives. It doesn't take. Mercy comes from a word that, uh, the merciful, the word merciful comes from a word meaning, meaning charitable or beneficial. Mercy benefits other people. Jesus is the highest example of mercy. Hebrews 2.17 calls him our merciful and faithful high priest, the one who goes to God the Father on our behalf. So it's important to know what mercy is, but it's also important to know what it isn't, what mercy is not. See, mercy is often mistaken for something else, good things, confused with other virtues. So first I want to talk a little bit about what it's different from and then what it's the total opposite of. Okay? But first, what it's different from. What it's not the same thing as. First of all, it's not the same thing as love. Some people might think those are interchangeable. Love is bigger than mercy. Right? Love is bigger than mercy. Love is an overarching virtue out of which uh, mercy flows. It inspires mercy. Mercy flows from love. Love loves even when there is no sin to forgive or need to meet. Love is always in operation, but mercy is for times of trouble. Mercy is reserved for times of trouble. So mercy is not the same thing as love. Mercy is also not the same thing as forgiveness. 
In Titus 3.5, it says that God saves us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. But mercy is not the same as forgiveness. Mercy is bigger than forgiveness. God's mercy forgives our sin and covers all of our needs. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, I still remember the day I first read that verse. I had heard the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, for years, but had never read the Word of God. And when I heard that, I, I was blown away. Um, the Lord's loving kindnesses, mercies, indeed never cease. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. God's mercies are new Every morning, they cover all needs. But forgiveness flows from mercy. So it's not the same. But the thing that, that, that mercy is most often confused with is grace. A lot of people will say, well, they mean the same thing. They're kind of interchangeable. No, they're not. You know, uh, mercy is related to very closely to grace, but it is not the same thing as grace. See, we say that, you know, I'm, there's a situation going on, and, and then we say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to show mercy. I, excuse me. <laughs> I'm just going to show grace. I'm just going to show that person grace. I'm, I'm going to extend grace to them. When what we're really doing is showing them mercy. Letting someone off the hook. Being patient with their behavior. Um, showing understanding toward, to them. In fact... Do a study on this one. Believers are instructed in the scriptures to show mercy. We are never instructed to show grace. We are to be gracious. But grace is only God's to give. Grace is the exclusive activity of God. Showing gra- uh, giving grace. That's exclusively God's work. See, grace is a favor done without expectation of return. It is the absolute freeness of the loving kindness of God, finding its only motive in who He is. It's unearned, it's unmerited favor. But see, God's mercy is given to alleviate the consequence of sin. I think mercy should have a complex because it's so often ignored. You know, grace gets all the attention. I mean, have you ever heard of many churches called Mercy Church? I make my point. Grace Church is all around. Where's the fellowship of mercy brethren? Doesn't exist. But I'll tell you, in the Bible, you see God's grace and God's mercy working in tandem side by side. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the Passover. In the Passover situation, you would kill the, the Passover lamb and sprinkle or paint the blood on the doorposts, right? And then you go inside your home. And when the angel of God passed over and saw the blood on the doorpost, he would spare your firstborn. Mercy. He would see the blood signifying the grace, being, uh, the sin being dealt with. He would pass over in mercy. Letting the firstborn son live. There's also the mercy seat. We've got to go there. It's got the same, same name. The mercy seat. What happened there? At the mercy seat, God's 
anger towards sin was appeased. It, we call it uh, a big word, propitiation. It, it's when God's wrath against sin was appeased. But what was on the mercy seat? Blood. Signifying the grace of sin being dealt with. The, the sacrifice that took place to, to take care of sin. So that mercy could be extended. So that the consequences of sin could be alleviated. Blood from the sacrifice signifying grace. Freedom from the power of sin. And mercy then could be extended to alleviate sin's penalty and sin's consequences. Sin forgiven. The guilt and power of sin is removed through God's grace. So that mercy can be extended and the penalty of sin can be removed. I saw it just this morning in Ezra. I'm reading through the Bible and I'm, I'm in Ezra chapter 9. And as I read I thought, wow, this is amazing. In Ezra chapter 9 and verse 5, Ezra prays a prayer of confession to God. Why was he confessing to God? The good things were happening. They were able to go back and restore the temple when they had been in, in captivity. Amidst a lot of opposition. It's a, it's a long story too long for right now. But what happens is they find out there had been mixed marriages happening, that the holy race of God had intermingled with the people of the lands. They had done what God had said not to do. And, and everyone uh, trembled at the words of God on account of their unfaithfulness. And, and Ezra said that he sat appalled until the evening. But at the evening offering time, he got up and he... he he had torn his garments because of his grief over the people's unfaithfulness. And here's what he says. I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, and in terms of prayer, that's a good posture for prayer. Stretching out our hands to God. And he says, to, oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face. He stretches out his hands. His head is lowered. And then he says this, you my God, our iniquities have risen above our heads Our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And on account of our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the the lands. There was consequences. But now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant, to give us a peg in his holy place, that our Lord may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves, yet in our bondage our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness, mercy. God has shown grace and then shown loving kindness to restore the people and restore them to their work of rebuilding the temple. So you see grace and mercy side by side in the Old Testament. You also see it in the New Testament. You see grace and mercy in Paul's opening words in his pastoral epistles. In 1 Timothy 1-2, you see it. Grace and mercy. 2 Timothy 1-2, grace and mercy. Titus 1-4, grace and mercy. Side by side. But I want you to see it in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, you see grace and mercy side by side. In Ephesians chapter 2, when when he begins with saying, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, unable to move, poor in spirit, and you're mourning over that. Verse 4, 
Verse 4 says this, but God, oh, by the way, we had been children of wrath, even as the rest, we are, we, uh, God's anger against our sin is, is in operation, but what happened? Verse 4, God being rich in mercy, because he was rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. God is operating in mercy and in grace toward us. You see it also in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, when Paul is talking about his, his former life and, and being so thankful for what God had done in his life. Being so thankful for, for God's um, forgiveness and for his mercy and for his grace, for his love that was shown to him. Here's what he says in verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. He didn't always call Christ Jesus his Lord. Remember, he used to want to destroy um, anyone who, who followed Jesus. But he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says, I, I, was, I was doing wrong. I did wrong. I sinned, but God held back his anger against my sin due to his grace and mercy. The penalty my sin deserved could have, should have, would have been with me forever, but God had mercy on my soul. That's what he's saying. Grace and mercy side by side, not the same. Richard Lenski said, mercy deals with results of sin. Grace deals with the sin and guilt itself. Mercy cures, helps, and heals. Grace cleanses and reinstates. MacArthur said, all our problems, in the last analysis, are sin problems. It is with those problems that mercy gives help. Grace deals with sin itself. Mercy deals with the symptoms. Grace with the cause. Mercy offers relief from punishment. Grace offers pardon for the crime. Mercy eliminates the pain. Grace cures the disease. You see that mercy and grace are not the same, but they work in tandem side by side. So mercy is connected to love, it's connected to forgiveness, it's connected to grace, but it stands in contrast to some other things, some negative things. What's it the opposite of? What's, what's mercy the opposite of? It Well, first, pride, which shows itself in, in several things, which I'll, I'll list three. Uh, cruelty. Cruelty, it's opposed to mercy. When we are cruel, we cannot be merciful at the same time. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, the merciful man does himself good. Mercy is good for your soul. The cruel man does himself harm. Cruelty is bad for your soul. So it stands to reason you'd want to be merciful, right? Now, it's opposed to being cruel, but it's also opposed to being judgmental. You say, well, I'm not that cruel, but, but I'm a bit judgmental. 
Well, it's opposed to being judgmental. We can't be merciful and judgmental at the same time. Not possible. One is opposed to the other. Go with me to Luke chapter 18. We've seen it before. You've got a Pharisee who's proud. You've got a tax collector who's humble. And the the Pharisee's pride and judgmentalism and legalism led him down the path of being hateful towards the tax collector. What happened? Well, Jesus told this parable. He told the parable people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They viewed others with contempt. They judged other people. They were judgmental towards other people. Look at those bad people. All right? He says this. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Go on, so on and so forth. The tax collector was humble. But the point is that the Pharisee was judgmental. Nothing like mercy. No mercy. Sometimes people do foolish things. They need a second chance. We all do foolish things, and we all want a second chance. Isn't it interesting? When people do things, we attribute that to something in their character. When we do things wrong, we attribute that to our environment. (laughs) How I did that because you or they did such and such. Someone else does it, and they're like, yeah, I always knew they were like that. Yeah. You know, the, the, the... the, the Pharisee um, was judgmental. There's something else that, that uh, mercy is, is not in league with. It's the opposite of extracting vengeance. Vengeance. Go with me to another chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, you've got this slave who was forgiven a big debt. By the king. He had gone to the king and he had begged for mercy, leniency. Give me a break. And what did the king do? He gave it to him. He gave it to him. And, and then what happened? Well, he refused to have mercy on his fellow servant that owed him a minuscule amount. Nothing like what he had been uh, forgiven of. Unwilling to give him a break. So what happens? Here's what happens. Matthew 18 and verse 26. He says uh, to the king or to his, to, his, to his lord. He says, um, have patience with me. I'll repay you. I'll pay it all back. Well, he felt compassion. He released him. He forgave him the debt. He didn't just say, okay, you can pay me back. He forgave him the debt. It was free. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Not very much in comparison. It's, it's minuscule. And he seized him and began to choke him. He said, you pay me back what, I, what you owe me or I'm going to throw you in jail. Now his fellow slave fell to his knees just like he had done. He begged him and said, I will repay you. Promise. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. His fellow servants were grieved over it. When we're not merciful, it hurts other people. 
People can see it and it grieves them. And they went and told. He tattled. They told the Lord all that had happened. And, and he says, look, he came, he brought the guy before him and said, I forgave you all this debt. And you couldn't forgive this guy just a small, small amount. You should have had mercy the way I had mercy on you. And he had to receive the consequence. See, what happened was instead of forgiving and releasing his friend from debt, minuscule in comparison to what he had been forgiven, he assumed the role of judge. That's what we do, don't we? We stand in the judge's seat. We sit in the judge's seat. We forget how much we've been forgiven. About nine years ago, Angela and I were, were cheated by a, a contractor. The man never admitted his crime. It was uh, about a $5,000 crime. Um, help from a friend rescued us by giving us much more than we lost. Five times, more than five times more, they showered upon us rebuilding what had been messed up. But here's the thing. I struggled for years, several years, with the desire for justice for this man who had cheated us. In fact, I had people tell me, no, you should uh, fill out the paperwork on this. And um, even though the benefit we had received was far greater than what we had lost, I still wanted, I wanted what we had lost back, even though I had gotten far more. God's mercy is, is similar. When we show mercy, we're able to, to let it go. God finally got me to that place. I just let it go. But it was a tough road for me. I can admit to you. But see, when we realize how much mercy we have received and how much we still need, because we still sin and still have consequences for our sin, well, then we want to give it to others. Then we want we want to show mercy, want to extend mercy. Now, why do we need mercy? It's a good question. Why do we need mercy? But now, it's not difficult for us to figure out. You can just do the math. Um, God is holy. As Isaiah 6 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy, but we're sinful. We're dead in sin. We're objects of God's wrath apart from Christ. And sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. It's separation from God forever. We're in debt to God because of our sin. Our sin must be paid for. And we realize quickly we have no way of of paying our debt to God. Therefore, we need mercy. We need relief. And praise God, He is merciful. In Psalm 86 15 says, you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. Psalm 119, 156 says, great are your mercies, O God. Psalm, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 63, 9, recalling the Passover, says, the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. See, God shows mercy continuously. Mercy is related to justice. Now, justice and mercy seem to be polar opposites, don't they? Justice gives what is deserved. Mercy holds back what is deserved. But God is just and merciful at the same time. 
to the same person. God doesn't show mercy without punishing sin. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all sins so that God might be merciful to all sinners. That Jesus on the cross satisfied God's justice. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. God didn't wink at sin and compromise his righteousness. In the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross, justice was satisfied. God's anger against sin was satisfied. Sin was forgiven. Righteousness was fulfilled. And mercy was made available at the cross. In John 3.16, God loved in mercy and gave in grace. See, we, we still keep sinning and we need God's grace and forgiving and mercy and alleviating the misery and consequence of sin. When we realize how much we've been shown mercy, but also how much more we need it on a daily basis, we're more apt to, uh, to show it. Jesus was sent to earth. God the Son was sent to earth according to, as Luke 178 says it, according to the tender mercies of God. Because of the tender mercies of God, His loving kindness, His mercy, His compassion towards mankind. It's the ultimate display of mercy in action. See, Jesus paved the way. And we are called to be merciful. To show mercy. To be like Jesus and show mercy. But is mercy an attitude or an action? I think it's both. It's both. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus saw the people. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. But he did not stop there. What did he do? He sent them out to meet the needs. Chapter 10, verse 1. He summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He sent them out to meet the needs. He didn't just talk about it. See, the fifth beatitude is the first beatitude to basically assume action. You can't be merciful from a distance. You can't just feel it. See, it starts internally feeling compassion towards other people, but it must show itself in real, tangible action. The Christians are good about talking about how we should respond. But how often do our ideas get put into action? How, how often do they grow feet? And hands, how often are they carried out? To show mercy, you've got to initiate and then engage rather than isolate and insulate yourself from the pain and misery that sin brings on. Well, we want to be isolated and be comfortable and and insulate ourselves from the pain. But you've got to make yourself vulnerable to be merciful and initiate and engage rather than isolate and insulate. Jesus says, Luke six thirty six, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Who are we to show mercy to? Only to Christians? Only to 
to fellow believers or only to people we like? Only to our friends? We are to show mercy to all people. And the most obvious way to show mercy is through physical acts that serve the needs of others. Give. What do you have to give away? What can you give? You probably have a garage full of things you can give away. Like me. Give and it shall be given to you. Give food, give money, give clothes, give shelter. A prime example in scripture is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. He, he saw a need. There was a, what was there, a Pharisee, I believe, and a, and a Levite? Walking by the other side of the road, ignoring what they knew. The law said, uh, don't, don't close your, your, your heart, don't harden your heart towards your poor neighbor. Open your hand to them. Meet their need. They walked by on the other side. They didn't want to mess with it. They insulated themselves from the pain. They isolated themselves from it. What did the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan do? He saw the need. He went. He, he, he poured oil and wine on his wounds. He took him to the inn. Didn't just take him to the inn. He said, and by the way, whatever costs are incurred, I will pay that when I come back this way. Grace and mercy. It's not just physical acts that show mercy, though. We are to show mercy through spiritual acts that reveal our heart's condition, our attitudes. Love your enemies. Forgive. Love your enemies? It's it's easy to love my friends, but my enemies? Wow. Refuse to retaliate. See, preaching on mercy this, this week has has really revealed how unmerciful I am. Uh, this, uh, I was in a restaurant this week with my small group, and as the check came, it was my turn to pay, as the check came, I realized I was charged more than I had expected to be charged. Now, to show how unmerciful and picky I really am, it was $1.50 more. And I asked the per- I said to my guys, I said, what do you think? They said, oh, you should ask. And I said, okay, so hey, um, excuse me, what, what, what about this charge? And... and like, well, well, everyone charges extra for that. It was, I, I had gotten egg whites. I, I'm, I'm weird. I know. I got cholesterol issues. I got egg whites. $1.50 for egg whites. And I'm like, I want those yolks back then. Give me the yolks, you know. Uh, but whatever the case, I'm like, hey, well, okay. All right. So inside, I'm, outside, I'm just like, All, all's well. You know, no, no problem. But inside, oh, wow. The, the, the calculator was already going. I'm thinking, you're not getting a tip, you know. <laughs> or you're not getting a good one. So it, I did the math really quick in my head. I'm thinking, here's what I would have given. So I'm going to give this much. And uh, proudly, I wrote down how much I was giving him. <laughs> Smugly. And uh, he's smiling, you know. And, uh, and as we walking out the door, I, m- I remember thinking to myself, I showed you. And then I remember thinking to myself, as God convicted me, hmm, that's not a real kind and merciful thing to do. So I get out on the sidewalk and I say to one of my friends, I said, you know what, I, I, I got a confession to make. And then I, st- then I looked at my receipt. I've got it right here, in fact. So I looked at my receipt and I did the math. And I realized I gave them a 20% tip. <laughs> I had done the math wrong. So see, God makes even the wrath of man to praise him. I, I will tell you, um, I did not want to be merciful and God had me be merciful anyway. See, God wants us to grieve over lost souls, not lost coins. 
wants us to pray, wants us to share the gospel. What if I had been more interested in sharing the gospel with this person than saving a dollar fifty? There are two pictures, two beautiful paintings of Peter. Uh, one's called Saint Peter Repentant by Goya, and the other, The Tears of Saint Peter by El Greco. Both show the proverbial keys of the kingdom. Uh, but most significantly, both picture Peter at, in a posture of longing for mercy rather than, you know, deep grief. Now, when I picture Peter in John chapter 21, after Jesus had risen from the dead, after Jesus had been killed on the cross and buried and risen from the dead, oh, and after Peter had denied him three times before all that happened, when I picture Peter, I usually picture him throwing himself into the sea, saying, I'm going, and, well, first saying, I'm going fishing. And I picture him just totally crushed, totally uh, hurting, totally uh, grieving. But what I don't usually picture him as is, is wanting mercy, longing for God's mercy. And, and I think those two pictures illustrate that when we come to god with an attitude of longing for his mercy wanting forgiveness wanting a new beginning god honors that by showing us mercy the humble find mercy see when we and when we are acting in mercy toward others we don't look sideways at their pain and their misery due to sinful choices and actions even when we think that their their situation is of their own doing The merciful don't say, you made your bed, you sleep in it. Because they recognize that everyone is sinful. They recognize that everyone makes unwise choices at times. We don't withhold help and assistance because we judge their motives to be impure when we are merciful. We empathize with the plight of all who suffer the effects of sin. But see, like like God's mercy, human mercy doesn't doesn't soften the brunt of every consequence of sin, but it does ease the suffering that it brings on. We don't kick them when, we're, when they're down. So who will show mercy? Who will show mercy? Who will show mercy to the least, to the lost, to the homeless that are living on the streets right now in the rain in Orange, in Tustin, and the other surrounding cities? Who will show mercy to the unlovable? Who will show mercy to rejects? Those who are homeless and helpless and hungry and unable to fend for themselves. Who will help those who suffer the effects of sin? See, if we don't, we are more pitied than anyone else. We are to be more pitied than anyone else. We who have received mercy from God ought to be the first to extend it, not withhold it. The church of Jesus Christ ought to be the primary givers of mercy in society. Jesus said, as much as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. See, you can serve Jesus by showing mercy to all. Mercy takes something we don't naturally possess, though. We're not naturally merciful. But you want to put feet on your theology? You want to put feet on your beliefs? then give to someone who can't repay you. Feed them, clothe them, pay their way. Be willing to to spend and be spent for their souls, for the sake of others. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. He said freely you have received, freely give. 
Think about it as we, as we seek this year to follow Jesus as biblically-based households. Pray and ask God this very day. Pray and ask God, who is it? Open my eyes, Lord, to the needs of others, and who is it that I can help? That I, I just won't drive past them or walk past them. Find someone to give to this week. And, and don't tell anyone about it. Leave it between you and God. You see, the last part of this beatitude says, the merciful receive mercy. They shall receive mercy. James 2 says, the unmerciful shall receive judgment. But mercy triumphs over judgment. See, what it doesn't teach is that mercy to man receives mercy from man. You may show mercy, but you may not receive it in return from mankind. But you show mercy to man, and God will show you mercy in return. So you finish this sentence. Because of God's mercy in my life. Let's pray. Lord God, we who are are, uh, prone to be so unmerciful are often ashamed because of how merciful you have been to us and how, how little we can offer that to others. But Lord, we thank you that, that Jesus, that you were the most merciful person to ever walk the face of the earth. That you came to earth as God in the flesh and you, you healed, you restored, you, you gave sight and, and, and you even dealt with people so, so mercifully saying whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We thank you, Lord, that you are merciful. And Lord, please make us so as well.